This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog, though obviously not its exclusive writer as of now. And with me today, we have three special guests. We have frequent recurring special guest, M. Joshua Collar. Hi. Good morning. We have two other people who have never been on the podcast before, or one has who has never been on the podcast before, and the other who has never been on a non-interview podcast. We have David Chung, or Yun Wu Chung, but we're just going to call him Dave. How you doing? Hello. Good. How are you? Great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> And we also have Jacob Tomen, who was in an interview with me, and now he is on here to talk about things. Hello. Hey, guys. Good morning. It's great to be here representing Central Time Zone. (laughs) (laughs) It is early for me, and it is a nice, comfortable time for David, and it is very, very early for Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's dive right in, shall we? What have you been playing this week? Who wants to go first? Anyone? I'll take it. This week in particular, I have been playing Metro Last Light, which is the the sequel to Metro 2033, which came out on Xbox and and, uh, PC. It is, at first glance, a first-person apocalyptic, dark, sad setting of humanity trying to survive. What sets this apart from something like Fallout is that it's made by Ukrainians, uh, based on a Russian book, and it is all about a persistent simulation. So, like, the the essence of humans trying to survive underground in Moscow is the setting. And uh, it, it's it's dark, it's, it's depressing, but it's also about hope in that situation. And uh, the thing that, that's probably most like, like it in terms of other games that are higher profile is actually Half-Life. Because it's kind of this linear-ish game with a lot of like open combat situations and a lot of things happen to you as the player, but there's also a lot of things that keep you in the game. One of the, the, the most indicative parts of the design, the, the UI is ultra-minimal. So you have almost everything that you need to know is, is communicated to you by things on your character's hands or like he has a watch on his hand that lets you know whether or not he's exposed in the light and you have... Huh. In the first Metro, you had a, a watch that let you know how, how much more time you have on your gas mask when you're on the surface, um, because you have to wear a ga- gas mask to be able to breathe. And you would l- have to look at your watch to see how much more time you had for that, because it wouldn't have like a thing on the HUD, which creates this really great sense of immersion. And like whenever you're, you're outside and your gas mask has uh, particles and, and moisture collecting on it, and you have to wipe that off of your mask. So it creates this really interesting and compelling simulation but it's it's also like I said very very much inspired by by Half Life in terms of the very unique things happen on a linear path. But the the combat is very much stealth oriented. This sounds a lot like Chronicles of Riddick, if I have to say. <laughs> Actually, I, honestly, like after like because of you, I was playing Chronicles of Riddick a week and a half ago, and we talked about it a good bit. But it's it's very similar in a lot of ways. The difference is the fact that you're not Vin Diesel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Vin Diesel's so awesome. Why he isn't he uh, Well, honestly, I would much rather play as a Russian guy who has lived under the metro of <laughs> Moscow for 20 years than Vin Diesel. Because Vin Diesel, yeah, as cool as he is, he, he does not have a charming Russian accent. Yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> I guess Ukrainians would have a really intimate relationship with this sort of setting. Yeah, and it's 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 super. It, it comes through so much in the design, and so much in in the, the the atmosphere, and what sets this apart. And I really like the first Metro, but this one refines all of it. And there's a lot of strange supernatural. You're fighting off mutants and and the the, the things that have terrorized humanity. But it also deals with the subject of communism and neo Nazism and all these strange interpersonal conflicts. Um, that have like political implications behind them. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's it's heavy. It's it's interesting, and I don't have any any kind of clear consensus on what I think of it right now. But it runs super smooth on my computer, and it does a lot of things in, in a more immersive way than any other game that I know of. So that's notable. Did you play through the whole Metro twenty thirty three, or did you uh, just have I played a- through about nine hours of it, and I got to a difficulty spike. And I just didn't push through. Um, it was just 
it, it wasn't it wasn't that it was like a huge spike it was just like i i was the fool that was playing it on like the hard settings for the first run and i didn't feel comfortable scaling it back because it's like i've got so far on the super hard mode now why would i want to play it on normal but it's it's very hard to like you know pull off a situation where you have to kill like third like 20 dudes in a dangerous neo-nazi situation and i don't know but this one it seems to be easing you into everything a lot a lot more smoothly uh, so i like that about it oh so it has like game design yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah honestly i think you would like it a lot because i mean a lot of the the combat is is surrounding the idea of turning off lights and trying to sneak in the darkness and but Whenever you're spotted, it's kind of clear because you have a, a light facing directly at you and slightly blinding you. So you're like, oh, that's a dude who's, who has his flashlight in my face. <laughs> so it's interesting in, the, in those regards. Um, but I can't say that there's like any profound spiritual benefit to the game like uh, about, about it so far. So hmm. Strange game. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange and, and interesting from that novelty aspect. Uh, David, what game yes. have you been playing? I actually have been playing a game called Vindictus. It's that's the English title for it. It's an yeah, MMORPG uh, published by a Korean game company, Nexon, which also published Maple Story. I'm not sure if you've heard of that one. Yeah, I've played Vindictus a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty decently big in the States right now. But I've been playing the Korean version, and it's an action RPG, I guess, in a sense, uh, heavily control-based. You go on raids. The system is very similar to a World of Warcraft, I believe. I've never played it, but I, from what I hear, it's raid-based. And it also has a very strict plotline that you must follow. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and a lot of dialogue, a lot of text. The actual writer for the game is a uh, novelist. Uh, he's an author in Korea who has written many uh, fantasy novels, so uh, he's very known for that. And they wanted to make a online game that actually has a very decent story. So there's a lot of heavy uh, themes, different plot twists thrown at you constantly. But it's hard to concentrate on because the game itself is, you know, you just skip through the dialogue because you want to get to the next quest, <laughs> next item. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's working for them. Yeah, it's much more of an action RPG than most MMOs, though. Yeah, yeah, played. it is. Yeah, so I've been just doing that, and I think that ties pretty closely to our topic today for game compulsion or addiction. Uh, the whole MMORPG genre, is, I guess, is the most you know infamous in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I'll have some stuff to say for that. Awesome. Hmm. I've been playing Final Fantasy fourteen myself, and... That game is basically a giant plot-heavy thing <laughs> up until you hit level cap. So it's actually very similar in that respect. I was oh. surprised to find. When you say plot-heavy, do you mean like... Cutscenes? Cutscenes, okay, yeah. yeah. Lots of cutscenes. So you're playing a movie. <laughs> uh, well, partly. I mean, So it's an MMO with lots and lots of movies? Yeah, which is strange, right? That really is. It's more like having you in the center of the plot line, which is kind of strange to me because I've been playing World of Warcraft. It's really hard to do with a an MMO. Yeah, but they actually do it really effectively. Huh. I'm surprised. Weird. Alright, I don't want to talk about that game, though. Anyway. <laughs> uh, hey, Jacob, what did you play? Well, Other than League of Legends. Those of you guys that have already known me, you guys know what I'm going to respond with. So, League of Legends is the game of choice. Uh, <laughs> I'm here representing all things that are uh, multiplayer and incredibly boring and have nothing to do with storyline and everything to do with esports, so... Esports. Hey, that's, yeah. that's not to say that it's boring. That's just to say that all of your stories are interpersonal. Absolutely, yeah. and that's, that is the reality of just where we're at. So one of the one of the big things about League of Legends, if you don't know anything about League of Legends, I'm not sure if you've been living under a rock or maybe uh, just haven't had internet access. So uh, this will be a, an inspirational podcast for you and educational as well. <laughs> so League of Legends officially, it's a multiplayer online battle arena video game which that just stands for um, MOBA that's usually what we call these sorts of games and imagine if you took a tower defense game and you made it into a five on five RTS that's basically what League of Legends is it's a it's a game that's been inspired off of Warcraft 3's mod which was called Defense of the Ancients or Dota was the uh, abbreviation video games are kind of like uh, churches and denominations as many letters as we can uh, break them down into we try to do so so LOL is a MOBA, and it was released way back in um, 2008, and since 2008, it has grown leaps and bounds, and in 2012, Forbes announced that it was the most played P 
PC game in the world in terms of the number of hours that were played, and it's grown ever since. World Championship this past year gave away a million dollars to the, the winning team, SPT Telecom, and they sold out the Staples Arena in L.A. where the Los Angeles Lakers play basketball in less than three hours for their live event. So, wow. unfortunately, no awesome you know gameplay stories or uh, no awesome behind-the-scenes game mechanics, just a really solid awesome online multiplayer game that conducive to both building relationships but then also testing character and building character even what you would traditionally do through a traditional sport all of those things are available and encouraged and even challenged through the esport of league of legends so this past week we just had tryouts last night so i was up late last night working with the tryouts uh, for our esports organization and we actually had to expand this week to uh to two sets of tryouts because we had so many guys show up so we had nine tryouts at 8 30 and then we had 11 tryouts at 10 p.m. So it's just a really exciting time to be involved in esports right now and a oh. wonderful opportunity oh. to build relationship and even share the gospel with folks. So that's what I've been playing most of the time. Unfortunately, being a gaming missionary, it's not as cool as it sounds. Most of the time I have to play video games other people want me to play rather than the games <laughs> I want to play. So, yeah, I but see. we all have our crosses to bear, and we bear them gladly. <laughs> Yeah. So what would you recommend for someone who has played Dota 2, found himself completely confused for six hours, and then stopped playing a MOBA? Yeah, so <laughs> first off, let me just say on behalf of MOBAs everywhere, whether that's Smite or Dota or LOL, we apologize to you new players. So um, The learning curve makes no sense to me at all. It, imagine if you walked into a basketball arena and say that basketball arena was Rucker Park in the middle of New York City where <laughs> the best street ballers in the world play together. And you've never picked up a basketball. If you've never done that and you get picked to play on a team, you are quickly going to be referred to both as a noob, a loser, and you will never be picked again. So basically, <laughs> this is what happens all the time in MOBA communities. And MOBA communities are notorious. We're, we're getting up there right alongside with the Xbox community for our toxicity. And the reality is, is there's a steep learning curve, and the games are not friendly in the way how they teach, in the way how they encourage new players to interact. Honestly, it's a miracle that these games have ever taken off just because of the learning curve that's a part of it. And I'm surprised yeah. uh, that they have taken off the way that they have, but somehow the games that, that have taken off, like Dota and whether that's one or two, like Smite and now like League of Legends, hmm. it, it's mostly because of the pro scene and because folks see it as an esport rather than just as a compelling video game um, with a yeah. compelling storyline. So it's got a sharp learning curve. I, w I would just tell you if you played for about six hours, you've got two options. Either you can push through that hard, steep learning curve, and that's what a lot of folks do, or you can give up. And I would, I would tell you if you want to push through it, that you need to push through it um, in a community of other people that are willing to help you push through it because otherwise you're just going to be bashing your head into a wall for a very long time before that wall breaks down. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit scary. Cool. <laughs> There's a delay because I'm eating cereal right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> cereal OP. Nom. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> okay, I also played video games this week. I should probably say that. You did? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> No, cereal, stop. Can we ask you what kind of cereal, oh. Zach? Is that a, is that a potential it's, question? Yes, that's a good question. It's life cereal. Oh, there we go. Yeah, life I'm filled guy. with life. <laughs> that is a gospel-centered cereal if I've ever had one. That's yeah. <laughs> with lots of coffee, which probably isn't. <laughs> well, it depends. Did you go and get it from your local coffee shop that's right next to church or not? <laughs> no, I bought it from Trader Joe's and made it myself. Oh, hey, there you go. Well, Trader yeah. Joe's church, they're virtually one of the same. There you go. <laughs> At least here in St. Louis, they are. Yeah. All right. So I played a single-player game because I'm an introvert. No kidding. Anyway, I played Metroid Other M, which people have told me is horrible. <laughs> and they've also told me that they didn't like it because it wasn't like other Metroids. And I have been keeping a copy, brand new, sealed, for the past year because I didn't know whether or not I would like it. So I decided, hey, why not? I'll just pop it in, play it. And I'm surprised by its quality, to be honest. Because <laughs> people told me, like, Samus would be like a, a weak female or this sort of thing, but I really didn't care because, you know, I like playing Ninja Gaiden and other character action games. So this one is a lot more like Ninja Gaiden than any other Metroid game, and that sounds really weird in my head. <laughs> but 
it basically is an intense combat action experience while also having the exploration elements and isolation of other Metroid games. So if you like that, you'll like this. But if you have preconceived notions of who the character Samus is, then you're not going to like this at all. And since I've never been invested in Metroid for the story, it worked for me pretty well. So we could say hardcore fans of the audience wouldn't necessarily appreciate it as much, but maybe it's it's good for, for newer players that aren't as familiar with the Metroid lore. Yeah, if you if you think there is a Metroid lore, which I, I'm highly suspect of at this point, then yeah. yes, you will be really offended by the fact that Samus has like this monotone voice and she is different than what you thought she was. She which, isn't. Is it? If I'm remembering correctly, because it's been a few years since I played it, but doesn't she kind of like have an ex-military background and like does this weird like sideways thumb thing and put the thumb down whenever her her commanding officer yeah the infamous <laughs> thumbs down cutscene yes it happens multiple <laughs> times because she doesn't like authority yet she is in the military in for some reason yeah okay so what i found out from reading is that apparently this game is based off of events that happened in the metroid manga which has never been released in the west uh. so what happens in that i guess is that ridley kills her parents before her eyes and that is why she is like she is which is a scarred individual and so, so it's, it's basically the same plot as as batman yeah it's reminding me a lot of batman now that I'm saying, <laughs> except it's a giant dragon attacks your parents not necessarily crooks yeah. so yeah oh my goodness so samus is batman yeah fantasy fun. gotham and we're just waiting for the riddler to show up as either an orc or a gnome one or the other <laughs> and so wait, that means that James Bond is also Batman because Skyfall is just like The Dark Knight. Oh wow! <laughs> so everything is like blown. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> well, Other M is a lot like Batman, I guess, in that sense. So if you like Batman, you'll like Other M. Cool. So that was just my quick little thing. I'm sure I'll have a full review up in the next couple of days, possibly. Yeah, I mean I'm, the mechanics are so unique that it'll be it'll be interesting to to see your your breakdown of all how how everything comes together. There are things I don't like about it. For example, the last boss requires you to do something that you learned in a tutorial at the beginning of the game, and that was eight hours ago. And the game gives you no indication of what you're actually supposed to do, which really annoyed me to death. I had so to look like it up. A robot. About... Oh, perfect! Yeah, there you exactly. go. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up about game FAQs to figure out what the heck I was supposed to do, and everyone else was complaining about the same thing. So, well, at least it's not a tower defense thing at the very end of the game. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> oh, that would be horrible. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really horrible in in, in uh, Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you've been playing one game for 30 hours. How about if we give you a brand new one for the final boss? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I l it's okay to usurp player expectations, but it's not okay to shove an entirely different game at the end for no reason. All right, so... so sounds like a good segue. Yeah, we've done our things about playing games, and now we're going to talk about why we're addicted to them. Oh, actually, addicted is a pretty negative word. <laughs> Let's yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of different ways of, of framing it, I think. I think the, the best way to put it is, you know, when, when you talk about video games to people who aren't into them, the first criticism or concern that they have, especially for if their kids are playing games, is game addiction. Are my kids going to become, quote-unquote, addicted to games? And, and my I think answer that, is no, but they could be. And I, I think that's, that's a, a good way of putting it. Um, I think it might be uh, really good to bring up... Um, uh, Jacob's definition that he gave in your interview with him that really, really stood out to me as a very simple but very compelling way of framing framing it. Do you remember what you said, Jacob? Yeah, so addiction, I've, I've had the privilege of serving here with a lot of the recovering addicts here in this local St. Louis community over the last couple of years working at Sunshine Ministries and helping with the homeless and the, the recovering addicts that go through their program. And so I, I actually have told folks before at, at various game conferences and things that I've been able to go see that I'm actually not that much of a gamer. And so that actually makes me one of the, the, the ironic um, and yet um, wonderful choices by the Lord um, to send me into this ministry because I'm familiar with both addiction, but then I've also got a passion for where people are at in their recreation and in their hobbies. So even though I'm not as big of a gamer or as hardcore of a gamer um, as a lot of other folks, 
Uh, the Lord has prepped me in, in lots of other ways, and this is particularly one of those ways where he's done that. So addiction, when, whenever it rears its ugly head, whether that's in a form of idolatry that involves substance abuse, or whether that's um, something that's not physiological, it's more psychological, regardless of the addiction, um, wherever it's at, it always interferes with life outside of the addiction. And so really to think about game addiction, um, when it begins, where it starts, or understanding when it is that someone is actually addicted, rather than just prescribing you know, some sort of remedy or giving some sort of diagnosis based on time on task, it's really important for us to realize that addiction is something that always interferes with life outside of the addiction, where um, the addiction becomes the priority over other things in life and starts trumping the rest of what your life is about. And so I think that's a that's a helpful place to start. I think that's what you're referencing, um, Joshua. Yeah. And I think that's a really helpful place to start the conversation. Yeah, I, I really like that that simple explanation. That it, it's it's especially when it applies to responsibilities and relationships. The moment that you start playing games instead of taking care of things that need to be done, um, maybe around your house or in your family or just your time with your, especially your children. <laughs> yeah, your your wife or your kids or your husband, if you're a woman, you know, anytime that it gets in, especially a uh, church family, like if, if, you're, if your church has things that you, it does that, that are important, like uh, simply getting together and, and, and uh, having church life and you're playing games instead, like that might be uh, a red flag. Possibly. But, uh, yeah, but uh, one of the other things that is really no- noteworthy, and I, I, I do want to get to David and his, his definition on this too but i do want to bring up real quick uh zach that you shared with us on in our group the extra credits video about game addiction in which it basically uses the term instead of game addiction it 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 really distills that down to game compulsion and the 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 psychological need to play games and you might be able to actually do a better job than me of summing up the video because i've only watched it twice but yeah i could probably sum it up real quick Okay, so addiction is not necessarily attached to any particular object. It's more that addiction comes from your brain having some sort of psychological desire to do something. So whereas we could say it's game addiction, it's not necessarily in the sense that games by playing them automatically addict you. It's more in the sense of game compulsion, which is that the game in in itself is compelling. You know, it's an objective-based set of systems that you want to engage in. That's basically the point of all video games in some sense, right? Even if it's story-based or it's mechanics-based, the game compels you to play it more, and that's how people finish stuff. Whether it be some kind of two- or three-hour indie jam or a 50-hour JRPG, I mean, or at least uh, hundreds of hours Skyrim, addictive, obsessive way of exploring a world. So, some games obviously lend themselves more to this than others because an MMO is just an endless giant checklist of things to do. So you're always wanting to do the next thing, right? Your character is this permanent thing, a fixture in the world, and it, you want to do more things. So, you know, they give you little rewards along the way. World of Warcraft does this really well because they give you a great learning curve and then they make you feel like you're important in this world and then they give you tiny rewards which kind of breadcrumb your way up to level 90 or whatever the level cap will be in the future. So in terms of calling it addiction, addiction is a bit of a misnomer because it kind of sidesteps the issue and says that by playing it, you will automatically be addicted, which isn't necessarily true in my experience at least. It's more that the game is compelling enough that you want to play more of it. So That's, That's a good way of putting it. And a lot of reviewers and a lot of the historic way that people have talked about games... Yeah, they've um, used the does, word addicted. Yeah, so like, Drew Dixon actually wrote a great article about this on Game Church, but basically saying, like, maybe we shouldn't use the word addicting as if it's a good thing about a game. Like, dude, this game is so addicting. This um, game is so compelling, would be. Yeah, um, that might be that might be a better better language, but the, the point, you know, is to really not see addiction as an asset. But you had, you had mentioned MMOs. And I think that uh, that David had actually expressed that that might be a good segue for him to share on his thoughts on that. Just like Zach said, MMOs, you know, they leave that breadcrumb for you to follow. And for me, when I was playing this game, I haven't played an MMO in a really long time, and I couldn't stop wanting to be stronger, you know, be richer, get at a higher place in the game. And it's one of the reasons why I stopped 
back in high school when I was playing another MMO. I got really into it with a couple of, game, with a couple of uh, guys, and uh, it was, I mean, it's really destructive. It's like James shared in his video that takes a lot out of you. And in Korea, actually, it's becoming a real issue. The same with League of Legends, actually. League of Legends consists of more than 40% of our online gaming market. It's really huge. The sports thing is gigantic. I've been to a couple of contests myself. Is the other 60% StarCraft? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just spread apart. All these, there's so many MMORPGs in Korea. It's ridiculous. It's a huge market here. And the politicians are proposing a new law that and they want to categorize games as an addictive substance officially uh, yeah. in the same group as drugs, alcohol, and gambling. So it'll be one of the four major addictive substances officially designated by the government. And they're kind of this is that. the Korean government? Yeah, yeah they're outlawing esports, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And there's a huge uproar about it. So far, there has there have been uh, 300,000 people signing petitions, but it's not enough. And yeah, the the dialogue here is is getting really heated up about that. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that. I mean, and that makes sense considering Korea has such this a strong reputation for for being the the house of uh, some of the best players of of these competitive mm-hmm. online multiplayer games. Yeah, and even to, to throw a monkey wrench into it, I mean, here's here's where like, where it gets tricky from a from a business perspective too. So League of Legends uh, just announced a couple weeks ago because um, they look worldwide for where they host um, their events for their live events, um, competitive live events. And so last year uh, in the summer they hosted their All Star event in Shanghai, and that had over 18 million viewers watching via Twitch. Oh. <laughs> their recent World Championships, like I mentioned earlier, um, at the Staples Center in LA, had 32 million viewers watching via Twitch. And oh. They had just made the announcement just a couple weeks ago that they were going to do Season 4's World Championship in Korea. And so this is just another big wrench kind of um, into the middle of this really tumultuous time politically for esports in Korea because here it is, the world's number one MOBA, the world's number one esport has announced that it's coming home to Korea. And Korea is right in the midst of this very dire and really needed discussion about what exactly is it about games or what exactly is it about us, which is always where I want to push the conversation about addiction, what's going on with us and our hearts and where we're at in society, that we're looking for something to fill a gap or fill a void, and we feel like games can, can fill that void. So it's a very tumultuous time, yeah. even just yeah. looking at it from a business perspective and, and from the game itself. I'm really excited and really interested to see how Riot is going to handle whatever legislation comes down and, and where they move forward going forward into Season 4. Yeah, Jacob, you actually bring up a really great point about the the the, the nature of us being the church and providing. I mean, I mean, at least as as I'm hearing it, uh, of us being in this position of um, helping people who who are over overabundantly absorbed in games. However, that that shapes, but just to really take pe- the focus away from the idol, which is games as a way of feeling good about yourself and replacing that well with the one who defines who we are and, and what we're about which is Jesus and that that's pretty much the, the the really important role that we play that we play into that as the church in general but i think that the question for for all of us as as believers as representatives in our churches is how do we equip non-gamers to respond to game addiction um, because it, it's uh, or, or to people who have too high, and, and maybe it's not clearly game addiction maybe or, or game compulsion or whatever we're calling it, but just place too high of a priority on it that it has more of a shape in our lives than it should. So in, in short, how do we equip non-gamers to help gamers and not say, hey, you suck and you shouldn't be playing games because they're bad, not helpful, that part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, you know, you should not be playing games because they're bad and because they're not helpful versus I, I, I respect your, your play, but here is a better life balance or, or let's, what, what, what should be the way that, that people, we equip others for speaking to gamers, do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough question and it's a great question. It's one of the ones um, that we're really trying to struggle with as a missions organization over at Gospel and Gaming and 
Um, it's one obviously that we're dedicated to. I mean, one of the unique things about our ministry, I mean, there, there are all sorts of wonderful ministries that are popping up left and right um, to address the, the many things that are going on in, in the gaming community. The gaming community is is a vast thing, and that's something that non-gamers need to recognize, and that's one of the first things that we need to be able to do. I mean, Jane McCognigal in her book, Reality is Broken, um, you don't have to get very far in her book, just page two before she starts quoting um, some of the numbers about just how prevalent gamers are. There's 180 million people uh, here in the United States that qualify as gamer. So if that number shocks you, I'm glad it does, but it's a number that you need to hear. It's over half the population here in the United States. There's 200 million gamers, um, folks that are classified as gamer uh, by the ERSRB. Um, in China, and there's obviously less availability of internet and less availability of computers um, and less ability of free time uh, in China, and yet there's actually more gamers in China than there are even here in the United States. And yeah, so that's the, the, the game population itself is a real thing, but getting folks to realize that is is just the first step in a long process of getting non-gamers into the involved in the discussion, so that way they can have respectful conversation with folks that are gamers and there can be healthy dialogue between the two groups. Um, at the moment, that's one of the things that we're trying to do. And like I said, there are lots of different ministries that are popping all up over. And one of the things that we try to do uniquely with our ministry is we really try to function as the bridge um, between the church and gamers. So we're helping both the church be equipped um, to go out and to interact with gamers and to realize that this is a thing. And I've got to tell you, um, Joshua, one of the great ways to be able to reach non-gamers is to come into the church to invite um, myself for Gospel and Gaming to come and, and we come and we speak at churches um, and one of the big, big things that we do is we help educate the church and say look this is a thing, this is happening whether that's on the topic of game addiction or whether just as a social experience mm -hmm. this is what folks are doing, this is how folks are choosing to spend their recreational time and then we talk a little bit about what does the Gospel have to say about our recreational time and how we can worship our Lord um, through our hobbies and enjoy that but then also how can we set um, helpful and safe boundaries about when is too much, um, when is you know some too much, and when is um, a little not enough of something. Whether that's recreation, and we're leading into workaholicism, or whether that's um, you know playing and becoming lazy addicts um, and getting away yeah. from the real life and uh, pulling out of face-to-face -face interaction. So on both sides, that, that my answer is um, working from the ground up. I mean, it's going to be a it's going to be a really tough process. Like I said, there's 180 million gamers here in the United States. That's a lot of people for, for us to be able to represent and for us to be able to um, inform non-gamers about because there's almost just as many non-gamers as there are gamers in a country of 315 million people. So that's a lot of yeah. conversations that we need to have and a lot of podcasts that we need to do sharing <laughs> these numbers and having these discussions go. But this is exactly what we need to be doing in order to get the word out so that way these discussions can start happening in our churches and in the other social circles that we're involved in that actually have the societal capital to do something about it. I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that the Christian community doesn't really have a lot of knowledge of the distinctive language and terminology that gamers use to describe themselves. Hmm. So in the sense that, you know, I, I mean, gaming is a really insular thing. Uh, most people would characterize pe them as like outcasts and that sort of thing. So, so gaming people have their own kind of vernacular when it comes to describing games and talking about games and all this sort of thing. And then, you know, when the typical Christian person walks in and hears all this craziness, they just kind of assume that it's something they shouldn't be doing, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I killed that guy. It doesn't really translate that well. They're talking past <laughs> each other. There's like a whole language game going on here that. They're not really bridging the gap here, right? So, yeah. what, what I think a lot of a lot of times that's basically what's happening is just the lack of communication. I'm sure this is applicable to more than just this, but if Christians want to reach the gaming community or they want to reach people with addictions, they need to understand those addictions and talk in the language of those, and then they can reach that person. That's that is 100% accurate. I mean, that's we recently were working with a local school here in St. Louis, um, and they actually put on a, uh, a voice fellowship night for all their youth. They had a voice fellowship night and a, and a young ladies fellowship night. And um, for the boys, they chose to do a game night. And so, of course, I was interested and happy to help out and happy to evaluate it and see how things go and um, give what kind of resources we had available. But the headmaster of the school, um, he didn't attend the entire event, but he said he was somewhat concerned when he walked by the room and there were a bunch of high school men yelling, yeah, yeah, kill that guy, get Nathan, get Nathan, get him. 
<laughs> and of course, they're playing uh, console <laughs> FPSs. And so here's this headmaster that doesn't have exposure um, to the gaming community, that has no idea what it means um, to um, use an FPS and use the mechanics of the game in order to achieve the goal of the game, um, whether that's capture the flag or whether that's get a certain number of points um, via your team's score. Um, either way, it's, it's just like you said, Zach, it's an outsider looking in, not knowing the lingo, and saying, oh my gosh, they're talking about killing this guy, rather than saying, oh, this is exactly like what happens on a basketball court when you've got guys yelling across the way, pass me the ball, pass me the ball, dunk it, get on that guy, oh, you blocked the junk out of that guy, right? So somebody that doesn't play basketball walks by and goes, wow, basketball's a really violent game, and guys really get heated about it. Um, it's, it's not that it's necessarily particularly violent, it's that you as the outsider don't necessarily um, have the particular vernacular or you haven't been equipped to be able to understand the culture of what's going on. That's a really good point. Yeah. The, the one thing about, about that as from a perspective of a guy who has both a, a, a medium and a outlet for um, connecting with guys through games, uh, I, I have both, um, you, you guys have heard me talk about game cell, uh, which is one thing, but game cell is actually secondary in terms of like steps for me connecting with with young guys who play games through to uh, our youth center, uh, where we have where we actually use games as kind of the primary uh, primary might be over overstating, but kind of yeah, basically one of the primary ways of of uh, drawing kids in is saying hey here come o- come over here we got rock band we got uh, we got Halo and we got you know it's an opportunity for for kids to come in and and play these games, um, but. The thing is, uh, for our volunteers, you have two different kinds of, of responses to the scenario. Um, to either, and, and the one isn't isn't to completely be dismissive. Um, that's actually not an option um, because you're 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 inviting the kids in. So so yes, there's already uh, a consent to say yes. This is the way that we're reaching out to these kids. Uh, so what they the the standoff approach is to not play the games with them um and and so you either play the games with them or you don't and this is kind of the way that the church responds to a lot of games uh, or, or the, the subject of of connecting with young people through games um is to either not address it or to completely engage and there's one of those which is more common than, than the other and and by actually engaging with the kids through these games whether or not you're good at them um it says you're worth spending time with. There's very clear communication that that emphasizes the value of the person by spending time with them, and that that can't be overstated by anything else. Um, whether you know if you're trying to, to communicate discipline or or how to have a good work play balance, the only way you're going to be able to teach anybody anything is by being involved with them and getting getting involved in their life and doing the things that they like and, and letting them talk about the things that they like to talk about. And for me even, like there are certain games that I have a very, very clear non interest in, like <laughs> like Pokemon. Um, really? I've 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 taken a very a very um a pretty solid stance on no more Pokemon. Um, uh, <laughs> no more. So no you're more. saying, Josh, you have not caught them all? I have not caught them all, and I do not ever plan on catching them all. Oh. But if, you make me sad. <laughs> but if I'm going to connect with a guy who that's like his favorite game, I'm going to have to stand there and listen to his explanation on why he likes the game and very clearly take an interest in, in it with him. That's not That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to, to play Pokemon, um, but um, if I'm not engaging with his favorite thing um he's not going to be willing to let me talk about the things that are most important to me like jesus it's kind of that simple uh so when i have game cell one of the things i like to do and it's not always the way that i go with the format but um i'd, I'd like to one talk about what are you most excited about um in games if that if that's in games and the guy might say you know i'm really excited about final fantasy 13 and if Zach, you know more than anyone probably how much I really hate that game. I know you do. <laughs> I love and I think it. that the plot is it. the dumbest thing in the entire universe. But if someone is excited about it and I'm loving him and, and I, I, I want to validate him as a person and, and show him that I care, I'm going to have to take an interest in that. And I do. But it, 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 it's, it's not my first choice. And I think that's what's most important for non-gamers is that if someone comes, if, if you have 
someone in your life who wants to talk about anything that they're most passionate about. I mean, it doesn't have to be gamers. It could be someone who loves hunting, even if you think that hunting is evil. You take an interest in that. You're showing that person that you value them as a person, things that they love. Um, and that's key to being able to get to any further depth in that relationship. I, I would agree with this because in my personal experience, that has usually been the case. Because I would say my parents were never really big video gamers before I was born. But whatever happened to us, uh, we got a NES and a Super NES. And my dad and my brother played Secret of Mana together, like, all the way through. <laughs> and I, what is it, 120 hours we spent on that game over a Christmas break? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, like, before the advent of player's guides and all that sort of thing. So you would just get endlessly lost even though the game only took like th 30 hours to complete, really. But I was so young at the time, right? But yeah. my father, who wasn't really a big video gamer, showed interest in what I was doing, right? Yeah. Even though he wasn't necessarily a video gamer himself, he eventually turned into one, and he's kind of a World of Warcraft guy now. But <laughs> <laughs> And so was my mom. But wow. so the So what happened was that over time, he learned to appreciate video games, and then inadvertently he made me into someone who would play video games as they grew up so this is part of my formative development right so i was able to enjoy it as a pastime as recreation without getting into the more negative results of playing video games which you know addiction and kind of playing it as a conduit for other bad things happening in my life yeah because most of the time i was focused on schoolwork right school 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 get good grades that sort of thing right and then my parents would go, oh, well, you can get a video game if you, do, if you get good grades, right? So there was kind of an incentive there. So I would do well in school to get good grades and not to escape from reality. See, a yeah. fundamental difference there, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting point. It's really good. Yeah, it's the way that the video games are framed to people that also decides how they play them and how they react to them. So in Christian circles, it's usually a negative reaction. But if it's presented and framed in the right way in advance, then I think you can do a lot of good with video games. Yeah, yeah I think it might actually be a little bit of a misnomer to say, from a Christian perspective, that video games are looked at in a very, well, in, in a negative would, light. I think I it's more of a general, disinterested light. I mean, I that's just my experience, yeah. is that it's kind of like either a distant, disinterested light or um, let's not talk about that because it has nothing to do with the Bible. Might like depend on of, denomination. Because I've been uh, hopping around churches in my area looking for a new one. <laughs> I uh -huh. kind of settled already, but yeah, uh, I've been to a Baptist church. I've been to a Reformed community. I don't know why, but I guess it was because Grand Theft Auto V was coming out. But everyone feels a need to say something because it's such a cultural bombshell that it can't yeah. sell that much. And the results seem decidedly negative to me from the pulpit. So yeah. <laughs> I can't really say how people felt in those communities, but I have to assume that they're going to take their pastor's leadership uh, pretty definitively and not kind of go, well, my child plays video games. He should still play them even though that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Most people want to listen to their spiritual authorities, and I have no problem with that, right? But it's just that sometimes I don't see a lot of communities saying, video games are awesome and you should play them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely – and we can even look historically. We don't need to necessarily go denominally denominationally yeah. we, we can go, go with movies we can go far far back right yeah. music yeah. the devil's music rock and roll yeah I mean, <laughs> well i mean that's not even going far far back i mean if, if you go all the way back to the puritans i mean some of the some of the first um really religious radicals um from the from the reformation from the protestant reformation they, i was reading an article the other day about how the the puritans actually um at one point outlawed shuffleboard um because really? yeah because it was it was of the devil's um, work and it uh, increased your desire for leisure and um, took away your desire for the Lord. And oh, wow. um, that's that's such a false dichotomy. Um, God bless the Puritans, and, and we're we're all blessed by their work and a lot of um, their writing. And we stand on the shoulders of the giants that have gone before us. But at the same time, um, I do feel like there is a there is a tension, um, and I think you guys are representing it between the two of you, Zach and Josh. Um, that there's um, there is just a real tension where a, a lot of modern Christianity and especially contemporary Christian circles 
Um, there's not necessarily an outspokenness against video games. Um, there's more of an apathy um, that's usually in younger congregations, the ones um, that we're experiencing and that we're um, reading about, that there's usually just a sense of, hey, video games are okay, and there's no reason for us to talk about this. Um, that's the one hand. Um, another hand, if we're, this is going to be a three-handed person, so maybe this has been somebody from Fallout that's been exposed to radiation. <laughs> so on the one hand, there's this kind of apathy um, among the younger um, seeker-oriented churches, um, regardless of denomination or independent or wherever you're at, um, where, hey, video games are okay, so why do we need to talk about it? Um, then on the second hand, there's kind of this, um, again, younger generation that um, is enthusiastic about video games. We could say that we're um, representative of this demographic here, where we're um, in between 18 to 38 and we're all into our video games ourselves and we're Christians and we want to um, apply the gospel to the things that we do in our life and that includes video games and so we're excited about it and then on the third hand um, there's kind of a, a little bit more um, historical approach to um, gaming and to play in general where there hasn't been a healthy developed sense of what does it mean to um, worship the Lord in all of our aspects of life whether that's um, in our work and in our play. Those are the two things that God has made us to do. He's made us to work and to rest. I mean, that's the, the creational pattern that's set up there in, in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And so um, until we really develop um, a healthy pattern and really a healthy history, and we've got a chance right here to do that, to start that um, with things like Game Church and Theology Gaming and Gospel and Gaming, we've got the opportunity and therefore the responsibility because of our awareness to really set the pattern so that way future generations can look back and go, oh, yeah. Christianity used to be something that didn't have a theology of play. We had a really good theology of work, but not a theology of play. And uh, we really need to balance those two and get pushing um, one another and pulling one another and dragging one another and grabbing all three of those radiation-infected hands um, and pulling them together in unity and saying, all right, we're the body of Christ, dang it, and we're supposed to be in unity on some of these things. So let's at least get the train going in one direction. And, and certainly denominations and different um, historical traditions and different independents are going to have different places where they take it. Some churches are going to use <coughs> gaming as a huge evangelistic outreach. Some churches are going to shun it and say, all right, we need to stay away from it. And that's okay. We need to be willing to, to, to go where, like you said, Josh, where spiritual leadership wants to take um, particular folks and where the Lord leads people. We need to be willing to go. But um, at the same time, we've got to start having this conversation so that way we can get to the point where we're all debating and saying, okay, we'll use this or we won't use this or this is a thing or it's not a thing. At the moment, there's not even a conversation and there's a general apathy towards it. So I'm really pleased that there are things out there like um, PBS's little game show that they're putting out. Um, you know, it's got 22,000 hits on that video that we were assigned to watch for this podcast. And i got to tell you oh, guys. Oh, you mean the extra credits than, one? Which one? Um, extra credits is the one that that, uh, that Zach actually shared with us, but um, the one from PBS Game Show on game addiction is also very much worth worth watching. Yeah, that. One um, I think that probably great. has a lot more than twenty two thousand hits because it's it's a little more popular. I think. Oh, absolutely. In my mind, I must have been misreading that. All I all I know is is that twenty two thousand hits. That's way more than what I'm going to get on whatever oh. anything that I put out. <laughs> and so that's again like pushing forward this conversation and this discussion into the more. Um, into the church's limelight and into the mainstream is really important and I'm really thankful that the Lord is raising up people that aren't even Christians to discuss these things so that way I can show them these awesome videos that have been made by people that know how to put together great videos and great material and I can say look this is a thing folks we need to be thinking about what the gospel has to say about this yeah that's good cool um, I, I think that, that that's actually probably uh, a relatively good segue to wrap up the, sub, the subject um, but just to be uh, a little bit of a troll, um, I do want to just ask each one of you guys, and I will direct this at myself as well. Would you ever say that you have been addicted to games, where you take put too much priority on games and not enough on the Lord? You should answer your own question first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 I'm asking the question here. No, um, yeah, uh, definitely uh, for me. Um, it's one of those things that's usually pretty hard to, 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 uh, to tell. Um, when am I spending too much time playing games? Especially if it's something that I am having a hard time playing myself away from, like a, a very immersive style, first-person experience where I'm like, ooh, I want to go over there, ooh, I want to go over there, ooh, I need to find out what's in there. Um, like Skyrim or like Far Cry 3 or something like that, where I, I, I very much am given over to the devices that is uh, the that which is compelling. Um, and especially in high school, like I could say that in high school I did pretty poorly um, in general just because I didn't have any incentive to academia in general. Like it just wasn't, it, I, I could not 
learn from an academic style as well as I could learn from games. Mm-hmm. Not to say that games were actually like particularly powerful, influential, important in any way, shape, or form back in the late 90s. But that, that, was, that was where a lot of my uh, time and energy went, and I took things like work pretty seriously, but school not as much. Um, so I, I quite unfortunately had a, a very low grade point average at the end of my high school experience. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm going to be completely honest, probably had a lot to do with the fact that I was far more interested in games than school. I even wrote a very high graded, one of my, my best written pieces in high school was actually a English assignment where I said that video games were better than the education system. Um, and I got a, a, a B plus on it. Um, and the, 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 the lack of an A was because it was so incredibly negative and she didn't like it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was very, very, she thought that it was despite her, uh, my teacher, despite not liking it, thought that I made a very interesting case. Um, <laughs> uh, all that is indicative of, uh, a misplace of priorities on my part. And I, will say that one thing that has been very helpful and beneficial in that is uh, being involved in church life, being involved in um, the investment in others, and also being involved in um, just my wife, uh, just, you know, the importance of taking care of things around the house and being involved in spending quality time with her. Those have been very helpful in uh, creating good, strong boundaries. Um, but at the same time, the real question is whether or not I'm still spending good quality time alone with the Lord and not filling up all my spare waking hours with games. And I can't say that I have the perfect balance of that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there is always more room to spend time with games. And that's why you guys uh, may see me at times take a fast from uh, from either games or in, in general or more specifically gaming news. Um, because uh, the gaming news and being staying up with the community uh, around games, especially uh, the Christian community around games, actually takes up a very large amount of um, my waking attention and uh, mental space. And it's good to clear that out every once in a while and just uh, leave more room for God, even if I'm still playing games. Um, I think it's, I mean, I, no matter what, it's just really, really important, especially from the position, position and perspective of a believer, that you do not compromise your time with God, and I am a not a perfect example of that. Next, <laughs> <laughs> who wants to go next? Uh, I'll, I'll go next. Yeah, for me, in short, I've definitely you know, struggled in the past with soul addiction. I think, it's, especially in high school, before uh, I met Jesus, it was it was just a, it's a great place to escape to. You know, the the, the new worlds, uh, the interactivity, uh, the stories, and whatnot. But there was one incident where I really got turned off by the entire gaming thing uh, was when I actually got another friend of mine into this MMORPG and he was extremely inexperienced with gaming whatsoever. He was a new gamer and this was our senior year before writing college apps so it was not perfect timing but he got into it and he got really into it so much to the point where he uh, missed his deadlines for his uh, college applications and eventually went to uh, just a very, you know, very uh, somewhere where he didn't have to go, well, pretty much. And he kept on playing, actually, uh, even into college. And it almost, almost completely destroyed his life. And that's when I got really turned off by the whole thing. But I still love the idea of the medium. And in college, I uh, started going to church and I met Jesus, and the whole thing turned around for me medium. Uh, I haven't played games in college actually because I was, you know, I, I was a new believer and you know, you know the whole yeah. uh, the phase of um, <laughs> learning all this stuff about who you really are. And, uh, it can be really and really healthy for new believers to not spend any time with games at all. I mean that's what <laughs> God called me to for a season was to completely not play games. Yeah, uh, for me that was about four years and it was completely eye opening and when I got out of college uh, I was reminded of some of the passions I had for this medium, you know, the things that I love about it, how it's a powerful way to, uh, I think it's a powerful way to uh, give someone an experience. And if we make that just the right way, it would be an incredible way for people to understand or know more about beauties 
uh, of God. You know, if we can kind of craft the game like that, and that's something that I have uh, a vision for. Um, but yeah, even with all of that, I, even to this day, I mean, I've been out of the army for about 10 days now. And in that 10 days, I think I've uh, sunk in a, a good, you know, 10 to 15 or maybe even 20 hours in gaming. And for me, it's, I think, more than anything, it's uh, just like my competitive nature, even especially for MMORPGs, I want to be better than everybody everybody else. I want to be uh, stronger, richer, whatever. And it's something that I need to work on. And one thing that I've done, other than just praying and uh, just reading the Word, I've set some practical measures for it. I bought a little timer <laughs> that uh, sets off uh, after an hour, so I just kind of split these game time in my own way. So I think that self-discipline is is and can be a very powerful way to, um, you know, win through this in a sense. That's really good. That's that's really great point. Cool. So for me, absolutely. Uh, there was a semester um, in uh, here in seminary uh, here in St. Louis where um, it was getting to be um, right around Lent time, and I and my wife had a good conversation about, hey, uh, should we, should I pursue giving up games um, for Lent? And that was a wonderful opportunity. I love the way how Joshua said that, um, that it's a time to fast, not just um, from games, but even the novelty of, of the pursuit of knowledge, um, and that we've always got to be keeping up with what's the next big thing. And um, for me, that time came. Um, during uh, spring semester um, during Lent, so I gave up uh, playing league. This was before, um, obviously, before all of uh, all of the Lord's crazy call for us to go and uh, be gaming missionaries. But um, it was really a good time for for us to evaluate to say, okay, is this something that we should go into? And uh, really, Tim Keller does a great job of talking about um, idolatry as being um, that which we run to, um, that which we go to when we are hurting, when we are most in need something and we know that our Lord and our Savior he's called us he said come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and so when we're weary and heavy laden there's no reason for us to run anywhere else but the cross and a lot of the time uh, the thing that's that's taking up our thoughts and our mind and our heart and our motivations and our strength and our desire um, a lot of the time that reveals where our idols are at and so for me absolutely deeming um, for a time, it was my um, consolation. It was my hope. It's what I look forward to every day during a very busy time in seminary life. I really wanted to get away. Uh, Zach, I can relate to you. I'm a heavy introvert, believe it or not. And so um, I actually wanted, <laughs> No, wanted, I was joking. <laughs> I know, right? But I actually am. And so for me, trying to get away, um, it, was a, it became an idol. And so getting away into video games, um, it wasn't so much, again, this is why I'm, I'm so big on the time on task thing. For me, I only got to play about an hour a day um, during that time when I was addicted, but I absolutely knew I was addicted again, not because of time on task, but because that was where my heart's hope was, um, was in getting away and spending time on my own doing what I wanted to do. And so um, for me, spending that, that semester not playing League and um, only limiting myself to, to playing FIFA for about 20 minutes a day, um, that, was, that was incredibly actually challenging for me, and it was incredibly different. It was a new experience. Um, to go through that, and it, it was really helpful, and it really helped orient me to realize, all right, what is addiction, where am I at, and where is my heart, where is the seed, um, um, the throne of my heart at, and where am I placing my hope, so for me, that's definitely a, a big thing, and all that being said, you don't send an alcoholic uh, to go to bar ministry, and so um, it's, it's a wonderful thing um, to hear your guys' stories, and to hear how the Lord is shaping um, even this group, and the people that are listening to this podcast. Um, for wonderful things. I mean, the Lord has taken um, broken people like Moses, Moses who was a murderer, and um, Joshua who had no confidence, and um, even David um, with all of his uh, women problems, if you can put it that way. Um, <laughs> all of these very, very broken people. The Lord delights in taking broken people and capturing him, capturing them for his glory. And so I'm thankful to be able to hear your guys' story and share a little bit of mine and hear that we are broken people, but that the Lord takes us, reclaims us and uses us for his glory. That's a wonderful thing, and that's an encouragement to me this day to hear your guys' story and hear how the Lord is using all of us in this big, big thing that's happening worldwide. Yeah, Okay. awesome. Did I say something? I can't remember. Um, ha- in short, no. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, okay. have, have, just just in, in, I would say just go ahead and share if you feel feel like you've you've uh, been o- over prioritized on gaming over God, and uh, then just go ahead and close us out. Huh. I, think that, I don't think that's it? ever happened to me. I think it's more that I have to do a lot of different things, <laughs> and most of the time I've been more into school and getting, you know, things done than I have been about games. So mm-hmm. actually having started the blog, this has been the time when I've been playing video games the most, <laughs> which really sounds strange, but most of the rest of the time I had, like, no time. So when I was in, you know, getting my master's, right, I just did not play very many video games other than World of Warcraft, and that was only for, like, a couple hours on the weekend. Most of the time we just spent studying and stuff, and I think that's mostly been my schedule for the longest time. So... When it comes to playing video games now, I'm never really... I have to dedicate the time to play them and just say, okay, I'm going to stop reading and I'm going to stop doing this stuff and I'm going to stop messing around with the blog and I have to play a game, right? <laughs> oh, wow. So I kind of have to force myself to play. Even though I love video games, I love learning about them and all this sort of thing, I, sometimes I just feel like, ugh, i got to play video games now, you know, that sort of thing. So I feel like I'm in the exactly opposite camp. <laughs> That's interesting. Cool. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, it probably wasn't a good idea to end with me. I think Jacob did a lot better job. <laughs> no, if I can, I'll, I'll dovetail off of you, Zach. That's, that's something that whenever I go to a church, a school, or a speaking engagement, or a, a gaming company, and I tell them, hey, I'm a gaming missionary, and I'm, I'm here to be a, a resource for you guys in whatever way you want to use me, whether that's as funerals, whether that's as counseling, um, whatever you guys want to use a gaming pastor or a gaming missionary for, that's what I'm here for. Um, there's there's usually two reactions that I get. One is either anime eyes, um, <laughs> or the other one um, is. So I'm a very polarizing guy. So I'm used to folks either loving me or hating me. And the other one is just like, what is it that you do? You play video games all day? Um, and so that's that's one of those ones where um, it's kind of like, no, no. What what we actually do? There's a lot of people work involved. There's a lot of organizational work involved. Um, so I actually can sympathize with you now, Zach. There there have been several times throughout the last week. Um, where I've had a counseling session with guys, and the way how we do counseling a lot of the time is we set aside an hour um, where guys can just come in and we play a video game, any video game they want that I've got, um, and we just play that video game for an hour, um, and we just chat about life, and it's basically sitting in a coffee shop, but because we don't have a coffee shop because they're on one side of the planet and I'm on another, um, we play the video game and then we just (laughs) chat things out. And so folks think, um, you know, they almost have this utopian view of, wow, you just get to play video games all day. Um, but there's actually a lot of hard work that needs to go into this. And again, it, it just goes back to Joshua's point and David's point that um, awareness needs to be raised about this issue. And, and because we um, know that awareness needs to be raised about this issue, we've absolutely got a responsibility, us right here in this room in theology, gaming, and game church, and gospel and gaming, we've all got a responsibility to contribute into what the Lord is doing worldwide. All right. Well, that's a good wrap-up. Much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this discussion of... Video game compulsion slash addiction slash something. <laughs> if this was helpful to you, please uh, send us some questions at uh, questions at theologygaming.com, I believe. If that's wrong, well, you're just uh, going to have to deal with it. Or go post on the Christian Geek Central forums. We have a little subforum on there. If you'd like to hear more of this, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you really like to give us a five-star rating, we really appreciate that sort of thing. We need promotion. Please help us. <laughs> We're interesting people, and we bet you're interesting too. <laughs> so, Only interesting people give five-star ratings. If you don't five-star yeah. <laughs> rate us, you're not interesting. You are not interesting. You're boring. So please give us five-star ratings. <laughs> Prove to me you're cool. Okay, so if you would like to find more of Josh Collar's stuff, mostly writing, you can find him at Game Church a lot. You can find him at Theology Gaming. You can find him at Love Subverts. Just Google these things. <laughs> if you'd like to find Jacob Toman, you can find him on Gospel and Gaming and Good Guy Gaming, which is G3 Gaming, right? Uh, yep, ggaming3.com G-G. is Good Guy go. Gaming's website, and you can G-T. feel free to hit us up there. Or you can also feel free to hit us up at gospelandgaming.org. All right. And, David, where should we find you? For English speakers, you can find me on Theology Gaming, just like everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And for uh, the Korean community, I'm not sure if anyone from there is listening to this podcast, which I hope they are. Uh, <laughs> you can find me uh, on the Game Literature Center. Uh, just 
neighbor it. That's what we call it in Korea. We call it neighbor it. And I'm sure it'll pop up. Yes, and if you use Google Translate, if you're an English speaker, you could try to piece together exactly what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is Zach signing out. Everyone say goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Love you guys. Hey, bye, everybody. Thanks so much for your time today. <laughs>